You guys, this is so exciting. Amy and I are full on twinning, straight up. We are. We're wearing the same sweatshirt and it's wonderful. It's the best. Granted, it's one you bought me, so it shouldn't be surprising (laughs) that we're wearing the same sweatshirt. It's not happened though, since I gave it to you. That's true. And considering, as I feel like I just pointed out to Monique, uh, I'm pretty sure I've worn it the past like four times we've recorded. (laughs) So the odds are good. Because it's the best. It is the best. Yeah. And it makes me feel like I'm getting like a nice hug from Monique when I wear it. So yay. Yay. How are you, lady? I'm fucking fantastic. How the fuck is Nashville? It's fucking great, man. It's a great time always. How was Tovlo? Did you go already or? Yeah, it was yes. It was last night. Nice. I mean, she's fucking great and amazing. And I just love her. I'm sure she brings it. She sure does. And this was um, because I've mentioned before that I've seen her a few times, but this was the most this was the highest production value of a show that I've seen her do. Oh, like multiple outfit changes. <gasps> Love that. Lots of, you know, booty dancers and no, not she didn't have dancers. There's lots of like a uh, light stuff happening. Lighting, if you will. Love that. Special effects. Yeah. Yes. Special effects. Most of her outfits included her wearing a thong and just that her booty was just out. I was going to say, I feel like she's the type that she's very scantily clad. Oh, yeah. In in uh, every single performance of Talking Body, she flashes her tits at a very specific moment. <gasps> I mean, if you're going to do it, that's the fucking song, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, she's, you know, like, I'm never going to begrudge seeing some tits. Like, I'm like, they're great. I love them. <laughs> Who doesn't? If you've got them, flaunt them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was just, it's great. She's amazing. And... Her opener, she's another pop star, or like, I don't know about pop star. She's a pop singer uh, who's, I believe, also Swedish. I think it's her name is Slater, but like with like three Ys. That sounds super familiar. So apparently her big song was in Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Okay. And that's what she closed with. Yeah. Okay. Which we've both seen. So I feel like I've... Yes. And I was like, oh, I remember this song. Awesome. It was great. I love going to live shows. I feel like... uh... It's been a while since I went to a concert. It's been, I do that for work, but it's been a lot of hockey games and I feel like concerts have been few and far between. So it's going to pick up soon. Yeah. I was just going to say that it's still, you know, we're only seven days into February. Yes. As unreal as that sounds somehow. Yes. I mean, yes. Like when I saw it, I was like, that's not possible. It has to be way more than that. Yeah. Where did January go? Like I blinked. (laughs) And it was gone. And I was like, oh, it's February now. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I keep like (laughs) my mother's birthday's on the 10th and I keep living in paranoia that I've missed it because I just don't know what's happening all of the time. (laughs) Time has no meaning. Yeah. I'm good, girl. Not there yet. And she is not the type to let you get away with forgetting her birthday. That's not going to fly, Monique, at all. Absolutely not. No. 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 And my father will definitely, would definitely send a text being like, BT dubs, you know what today is. Yeah. By the way, don't want you to get disowned. Um, (laughs) Send your mother a text. It's funny because my younger brother is notoriously awful with dates. Like he doesn't know any date. Like I'm the only reason he knows his, his own birthday is probably because when you're in college, you have to put it on everything all of the time. If not, he wouldn't even know. That's ridiculous. And it's just like not a personal thing. He just is horrendous. <laughs> He's just horrendous with dates. So I, it's usually on me to be like, Aww. hey, 
it's this person's birthday. You're a good sister. Yeah. Like a lot of times I'll call my mom. It'll be like Mother's Day or whatever. And she'll be like, I haven't heard from your brother, but you know, he has no idea what day. He doesn't know what today is. Yeah. So I get it. Yeah. It's like back in the day when you couldn't really watch TV without commercials. Like that's how I knew when shit was coming up because there would be a million fucking commercials. But now I know with all the streaming services, I don't really see commercials. So unless Google's like, Hey, by the way, it's mother's day. Yeah. You have to decipher their little, their little picture. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what are all these like flowers and hearts for? And you're like, Oh fuck. God damn it. <laughs> that's what this is. Exactly. What else is going on? Nothing much. I uh, went to Alamo this week, which it's been a while. Fuck yeah. What'd you see? Infinity Pool? How was that? Yeah. Yeah, okay. It was like a weird indie movie. And it did the thing that weird indie movies do where it doesn't really know what it wants to be. And it it just had like a very meh ending. Ah. Performances were great. It had Mia Goth in it, which was honestly why I went because I loved her so much in X and Pearl. And I think she's a fantastic actress. So it's funny that you mentioned that because I mentioned that I saw Titanic last week. Yes. And so now I've been following their social media because their social media person is nailing it, unlike me. And they, what of the the person who plays Rose's mother is the only character who doesn't have like a solo song. Okay. And so they posted a video of their performance, and you know how you can do. I sorry, I'm so no like zero percent of social media and TikTok. And I don't know how any of that works, which is why the social media is not great. I'm going to, I'm working on learning it, but how you can put like, how you can put dialogue from like a movie or something over yes. a video. Yes. And people will like lip sync to it. Yeah. So this wasn't a lip sync, but it was like, but mom, I'm a star, like screaming, I'm a star. I'm like, what the fuck is this from? And it's from Pearl. Yes. Yes. And then I was like, I really, I recognize that name. She was fucking married to Shia LaBeouf. Woof. What? Yeah, for like two or three years or something like that. Uh, her name did sound familiar, but when I looked up her IMDb, she really like didn't have as much as I thought in there. I was like, maybe I just thought I recognized her from somewhere. Recognize his name? It's probably from being married to Shia LaBeouf. Shit. Okay. Before he became like outwardly problematic. Or no, that's not accurate. That's not accurate. He's been problematic for a really long time. Before he became like rapey problematic. <laughs> he was problematic with other things before. Oh, the levels. We have to make the distinction, guys. Yeah, we, the levels we put up with before we're like, okay, <laughs> you've gotten to a point where we just can't, we can't let this go anymore. We we have to, we have to take you down, basically. We have to say something. Yes, exactly. God. I know. Speaking of us not being able to have nice things and people being problematic. Uh, fucking Rick and Morty. Justin Roiland was charged with domestic battery and false imprisonment and is... Holy shit. Yeah. Has been, like, removed from everything. He does, like, most of the voices, so they're going to have to try to recast him or recast his characters. Holy shit. Yeah. Just, like... Don't, I really don't understand. I know. This is why I have a hard time even like admitting to people that I like things. Cause I'm like, give it fucking five more years. I'm going to be regretting all of this and being like, great. Now I support, I look like I support fucking problematic people. And look at the dates guys. We didn't know. I didn't know. Although <laughs> apparently this has been kind of like going on in the background for much longer than I feel like it's, mm. it's coming to the spotlight 
recently and they're focusing on it. But from what I've read, it was like they were kind of like sweeping it under the rug and they knew this was like going on for a while. I mean, that's how it always is. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, because now I look like an asshole. Great. (laughs) You're not. He's an asshole. Fuck him. Yes. God. Thank you. Mm. But yeah, this is why we can't have nice things. No, not at all. This podcast is not as anything, Monique. Absolutely. As long as we still have Tom Hanks and Paul Rudd, don't you fucking dare do anything. Oh, my God. I know. Don't take that away from us. I need some faith in humanity. Like, let's not not get to that point. We're really pushing that line. Like, it has been... (laughs) I mean, it's been bad the last few years, girl. Yes. Like, you're not giving me a lot to work with, guys. I don't know what you want from me. For real. I was like, (laughs) I... I'm already kind of a pessimist sometimes, so <sighs> making it much, much harder to justify the human race, honestly. Well, on a fun, really random note. Yes, please. You're not going to guess, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Guess who was also at the same church I was at in Nashville? Who? Fucking Keith Urban and Nicole Kidman. What? I was like, what the fuck? Oh my God, that is very random. I definitely would not have guessed. No. Ever. Well, because she was like married to a fucking Scientologist for like a long time. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) The good old days. So I was like, oh, I was in a work. Catholicism was your thing, girl, work. Yeah. And they were there with their two daughters. That's really sweet. I know. That is a place I'm never going to run into anybody (laughs) at. So (laughs) that's really cool. I don't. I think other than growing up in Miami, the, the coach for the Miami Dolphins, Don Shula, went to my church every day. Oh, okay. But other than that, I don't think I've ever seen a celebrity at church in the wild. In the wild. You know? <laughs> well, now you have. Now I have. And it was a good one, too. It was like, girl. These were A-listers. Legit. I know. Like, I showed up a few minutes late, and then they showed up right after me. And I was like, wait, that's not... And then I left and I was like, it absolutely is them. Holy shit. Look at that. Stars. They're just like us, Monique. They're just like us. They show up 10 minutes late to church and no one gives a fuck. Not like me. <laughs> definitely I, not. I definitely got the, the looks. I got the ire. I'm like, I'm Cuban, man. I'm still here. <laughs> right? Like, you should be happy that I'm even showing up. Come on. Also, it was like packed. And then I was like, oh, is this for like a potential like Kidman urban sighting? Is that why it's super packed? See, but that's me being really cynical. They could also just be going, going to church like me. <laughs> I'm I'm with you on the cynicism here. I, I think it's for the Nicole Kidman. I think so. Keith Urban sighting. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> no offense to the Lord. I'm sure everyone's, you know. Everyone's super jazzed about you too, JC. Yeah. Totally. They're glad you're there. But like, do I kind of want to see Nicole Kidman? Yeah. But she has an Oscar and he was on America's Got Talent. Yeah, right? <laughs> you just have a cross, and I'm like, mm, all right. Was it America's Got Talent, or was it the other one? I don't know, pop culture from, like, the last, like, 20 years. Which, I went out, <laughs> and they were playing, like, all of these songs, like, these, like, fucking bangers that were, like, at, like, my, <laughs> like my high school prom and shit. And then I realized... Those songs are like 22 years old. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like J-Lo and Ja Rule's I'm Real, which is a fucking banger. 22 <gasps> fucking years old. Disgusting. What the fuck? Oh, I felt so old now. I know. I know. I've had a couple of moments like that with movies recently where I was like, ah, that came out a few years ago. And then I was like, oh, that came out a decade ago, Amy. <laughs> like, legitimately. 
what is wrong with you? <sighs> I'm telling you, time is just fucking flying by. Girl, I know. I is, know. Is that just like a part of being old? It seemed like it was so slow as a child. And I was like, oh, this is taking forever. And now it's just like fucking. Well, here's the thing. I did read that that's actually true. Because when we're younger, we have basically a lot more space in our brain. And so we process time in real time. And then the older we get, the more like data that gets like, you know, configured in there. We process time, not the same amount of time. Like we, because we just can't, because we're processing all this data, like, you know, millions and millions, millions of pieces of data that we actually don't process time the, the, the right way anymore. That is very interesting. Yeah. Like a school day lasted forever because it did. Yeah. You were cognizant of every minute. Yeah. 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 And the older we get, it's less and less because, because of all of the, the data we're constantly processing. All the shit that's going on up there constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I feel less crazy now, Monique. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. I got you girl. Yeah. Always. So like on that note, Do you have anything else you want to? No, I mean, I'm staying. I think I mentioned with my friend who has a dog and a cat and it's been a very long time (sighs) since I've had this much access to a cat and it's the happiest I've been in a very long time. (laughs) My friend is here laughing at me in that statement. It's, they're so cute. That's really cute. I'm very jealous. Uh, I miss, I love that you focus on the cat because I'd be like, I've been playing with this dog nonstop. I was like, the cat's fine. It's doing its own thing, but- I'm all about the dog. And you're like, no, I'm here for the cat. The dog's real cute. What kind of dog? I, I'm even afraid to ask you because I know you don't know dog breeds. I don't know. It looks like a shag carpet. <laughs> so whatever that is. <laughs> You'd think that would be helpful, but it's really that not that helpful, Monique. Girl, I don't know. I don't fucking know, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. This brings me back to me trying to explain what a Jack Russell terrier looked like. And then me just realizing, like, oh, I'm really Isn't bad. Is that, like, our first episode? Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, you, because you're like, it's a rat terrier. And I was like, what? I was like, she's breeding rats? And I was like, no, that's a dog. I'm like, no, they look like... And I just, like, completely couldn't think of a way to describe a dog <laughs> without using other breeds of dogs. That was not helpful. No, nah, man, it's, you're, you're great. You're awesome always. I just... The, the dog world is not my world. <laughs> I was like, I get that. That's fine. Yeah. I was like, you like cats? You're good. I know. And she has like an orange cat, which is my favorite. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Little, it's happy. Girl. I was like, well, that's good. Yeah. You're like animal fix out of the way. I know. Then you can go back. It's been a minute. Yeah. I was like, on that note. Yeah, girl. Are you ready to uh, entertain me with some creepy, spooky, paranormal stories? Yeah. Possibly... Nashville theme? No. <laughs> God damn it. I did go on a ghost tour and it was very good. It was very informative. Ooh. But I am going a little bit rogue here. Yes. I love when she goes rogue. Yeah, because it's been a minute since I've gone rogue. So a coincidence is defined as a remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances that have no apparent casual connection with one another. And as I'm sure you're all well aware by now, I don't believe in coincidences. And after the next few stories you hear, you might start to not believe in them either. (laughs) 
Oh my God. (laughs) I'm so excited right now. So I'm going to give you three stories of like really quote unquote, highly coincidental things that I don't think are coincidences. Uh, There's something else at play because this is fucking crazy. So sources, historyextra.com, sdghosts.com, allthatsinteresting.com, mentalfloss.com, anomalyinfo.com, bbc.com, cracked.com, irishcentral.com, and good old Wikipedia. In 1838, Edgar Allan Poe published his first and only completed novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym. The novel, written as a mock memoir, follows the adventures of its narrator Pym as he traveled through Antarctic waters. The whole thing begins when Pym, as a student, befriends the son of a ship's captain named Augustus Barnard. The two hit it off, and Augustus dazzles Pym with his tales of life on the high seas, imprinting an overwhelming desire in Pym to set sail. It's eventually agreed upon that Augustus will help Pym stow away on his father's whaling vessel, the Grampus, which, what a fucking name. Ah, I love that. (laughs) This is like Grandpa Krampus. I am into this. I mean, Grandpa Krampus? Right? I'm... I'm very here for Grandpa Krampus. I love an amalgamation. Let's do this. Let, girl, let's do it. Krampus. All day, every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm like getting a visual of Grandpa Krampus and it's pretty great. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Following a mutiny and a monster storm, Augustus and Pym find themselves in charge of the ship's battered remains accompanied by just two others, Dirk Peters and a cabin boy named Richard Parker. The four survivors, who are in the middle of nowhere at sea and are just floating on the wreckage of their ship, have next to no supplies and have lived for days on little more than the rationed remains of a turtle. Without any fresh water, the men become near delirious with thirst and are forced to contemplate the unimaginable, sacrificing and cannibalizing one of the four to ensure the survival of the rest. Oof. Like, it's one thing when they die of exposure and then you're just like, all right, they're already dead. Like, come on, are we all going to just die and not eat this guy? But like when you have to pick the person who's going to be Mm -hmm. the sacrifice and your meal, like, oh, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. In accordance with the custom of the sea, the four men draw lots to determine the victim. It comes down to just Pim and Parker. And in the end, it is Richard Parker, the cabin boy, who loses his life and is cannibalized to save the rest. Oh. Also, I'd just like to note, this is not the climax of the book. <laughs> it's like page one. Girl, exactly. It's halfway into the 25 chapters of the mock memoir. Like, this isn't even like the big shit that happens in the book. Oh my God. Girl. Okay. Shit, then. And here's the thing. The novel was a cash grab for Poe. The author, who was recently married to his 13-year-old firstborn cousin... Yikes. You know, problematic. Uh, Is that the theme today? Just problematic people? I guess so. Yeah. That could be the theme of this podcast, honestly. Girl, I mean. Yeah. Girl, that's, we should just rename it problematic people. (laughs) It'd be the same thing. (laughs) We would have to change zero content of it. Nothing. Yes, that's it. (laughs) That's it. So. Poe was hard up for cash, and his publisher had assured him that readers preferred longer works to shorter stories. So trying to give the people what they want and get paid, Poe wrote the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym, 
But the novel was not well-received, with critics condemning the violence and gore, as well as the work's nautical inaccuracies. Poe himself eventually joined in, calling his only completed novel, quote, a very silly book, end quote. However, in the following decades, opinion began to shift. Jules Verne was such a fan of the book that he published a sequel in 1897 titled The Antarctic Mystery. Poe's book has also been said to be the grandfather of Moby Dick and has inspired authors from Henry James to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym became one of Poe's most translated works. By 1978, scholars had counted over 300 editions, adaptations, and translations. The great Argentinian short story writer, Jorge Luis Borges, which is how I assume that's pronounced if it's going to be in Spanish, declared it to be quite simply Poe's greatest work. And Yann Martel even named the tiger Richard Parker in his award-winning novel, Life of Pi, as an homage to Poe and his work. Oh, shit. Right? I didn't realize that. I know, girl. But in 1838, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket was just another book on a shelf. Fast forward 46 years. On May 19th, 1884, four men set sail from Southampton in a 52-foot yacht named the Mignonette. An Australian lawyer named Jack Want bought the vessel, and the four professional sailors were tasked with taking the Mignonette to its new owner in Australia. On July 5th, the yacht was running northwest of the Cape of Good Hope. The vessel was clearly struggling as it was designed and intended for inshore sailings only and not long-distance voyages. Shortly after the crew turned in for the night, the Mignonette was struck by a giant wave, which washed away the yacht's bulwark, which is a steel or wooden defensive wall around the ship's sides, giving protection to the deck. Not only that, the yacht was taking in water. The captain, 31-year-old Tom Dudley, realized the yacht was doomed and ordered the only lifeboat, a flimsy 13-foot dinghy, to be lowered. The Mignonette sank within five minutes of being struck and the crew abandoned ship, managing to only salvage vital navigational instruments as well as two one-pound tins of turnips in the Mignonette's final moments. However, no fresh water was brought on board the lifeboat. Over the first night, the crew had to fight off a large shark with their oars, <gasps> which, fuck. No. Mm-hmm. Ugh. I mean, like, good for them that they're just like, there's no fodder. You can't, like, get the fuck out of this situation. You're just like, great. This is my life now till I die. Yeah, your fucking ship sank. You're like, fuck. Like, this is such worst nightmare situation for me. Like, I'm like, I just, I just really would have preferred to have drowned in the ship. Like, I'm sorry. Fuck. (laughs) Like, now I have to deal with this. Ugh. God. They were about 700 miles away from the nearest land at the time. And Dudley kept the first 10 of turnips until July 7th, when the five pieces inside the can were shared among the four men to last them a few days. A couple days later, a turtle was spotted swimming by the lifeboat and dragged on board to eat. The crew resolved to avoid drinking seawater as it is known to cause extreme dehydration, which could lead to hallucinations, convulsions, and painful death. So in terms of water, the crew could do little more than catch raindrops whenever a squall blew through. The turtle held them over until the second and last tin of turnips was opened on July 15th. The crew had failed to catch any rainwater and resorted to drinking their own urine to try and stay hydrated. By July 17th, all supplies on board the little dinghy had been exhausted. And it's estimated that around July 20th is when the 17-year-old cabin boy, 
who not only was an inexperienced sailor, but was making his first voyage on the open sea, which... No! This is, I mean, what a shit experience, to put it very mildly. Yeah! Zero out of ten. Would not recommend. Would not recommend? No. When he boarded the Mignonette, couldn't resist gulping some seawater in an attempt to alleviate his thirst. Fell ill, collapsing in the bottom of the boat with diarrhea, which also, like, just... It's like every sentence is worse than the last one. Yeah. Over the coming days, the 17-year-old's condition deteriorated and Captain Dudley had broached the fearful topic of the, quote, custom of the sea, end quote, a.k.a. the practice of drawing lots to select a sacrificial victim who would be consumed by his crewmates. In the early hours of July 25th, after being adrift for almost three months, weeks. My God. Girl. Jesus fucking Christ. I cannot for one second. I might've just thrown myself to the sharks after like week one. I'm not, it it sounds fucked up, but like, mm, yeah, I might've. Yeah. Oh, because then at least it would be fucking over, you know, like, oh God. Yeah. I'm contributing to the food chain. Like we're good. Yeah. Yeah. The captain told one of his crewmates, quote, the boy is dying. You have a wife and five children. And I have a wife and three children. Human flesh has been eaten before. End quote. Girl. Oh, I mean, it has, but do we have to? Yeah. Kind of do, I guess. Yeah. To live, but like, oh, yeah. Captain and mate felt that the boy was too ill to draw lots. So they just straight up murdered him. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought they were going to wait for him to die at least, like politely. No, girl. Oh. I love that. Wait for him to to die politely, please. Politely. Thank you. Thrusting a penknife into the boy's jugular. Oh my God. Girl, I know. What a fucking way to go. There wasn't going to be a better way. I was like, how'd they, I was like, they they, like drown him. They also don't have anything. They have zero things with them. Yeah. I was going to say, is drowning him better? Like that doesn't seem great. That seems awful too. So, ugh. Chronometer case was used to catch the boy's blood, which was quickly passed along Parker's three crewmates to moisten their parched mouths. Girl, I, oh, I know. As the person who usually does the cannibal stories, you think <laughs> I would be a little more prepared for this? And I'm so horrified by this somehow. Continue. Oh. I probably should have trigger warning this. I'm sorry. Oh. We're talking about cannibalism. It's a murder <laughs> podcast, people. I mean, yeah, they know what they're getting. Right. They're just shocked because it's it's me telling the story and it's not you. I know. I'm shocked, but I love it. I lured them into a false sense of security. <laughs> You're good <at> that. <laughs> Parker's body was then stripped and butchered. The heart and liver were eaten immediately. Strips of flesh were cut from his limbs and set aside as future rations. What remained of the cabin boy was thrown overboard. The doomed cabin boy's name? Richard fucking Parker. What? Girl. 46 fucking years later, this fucking thing happens. And it's almost exactly like Poe's fucking novel. That's really weird. Girl, that's what I'm saying. That's really weird. Okay. That's what I'm saying. So this insane coincidence between Poe's novel and the real life cannibalism of a cabin boy named Richard Parker went seemingly unnoticed until a descendant of the real life Richard Parker brought it to light. Nigel Parker wrote about the striking similarities between Poe's work and the subsequent fate of his relative in a letter to author and parapsychology enthusiast 
Arthur Kostler, who had requested tales of, quote, striking coincidence, end quote, from the public. Kostler was so taken with the uncanny similarities between the two stories that he published Nigel's letter in the Sunday Times in 1974. Incidentally, Kostler published a book titled The Roots of Coincidence, which argues that science needs to take the responsibility of the occurrence of phenomena that are outside our common sense view of the world more seriously and study them like telekinesis, ESP, and coincidences. But here's the thing. This isn't the only crazy coincidence of this type of nature. It was a clear, chilly April night, and the world's largest vessel to ever sail was gliding through the waters of the Mid-Atlantic. The impressive ship was 800 feet long, weighed 45,000 tons, and was declared unsinkable by all who had seen her. Then suddenly, when the ship was just 400 nautical miles from Newfoundland, it suddenly struck an iceberg on its starboard side while moving at 25 knots. The ship sank quickly, and due to an insufficient amount of lifeboats, the sinking ocean liner took the majority of its 2,500 passengers with it. This story sounds very familiar to anyone with even a passing knowledge of the Titanic. However, the story I just recounted isn't a description of what happened on the Titanic. It's the plot of the novel, The Wreck of the Titan, or Futility, which was released 14 years before the Titanic ever set sail. This one really freaks me out. It's so fucked up because... It's really weird. It just, like, is really trippy. Yes. Like, okay, let me get into it. In 1898, Morgan Robertson wrote the aforementioned novel. In it, an alcoholic and disgraced former naval officer named John Rowland takes a job aboard the Titan, the world's largest vessel. Robertson describes it as, quote, unsinkable, end quote, and, quote, among the greatest works of men, end quote. The Titan strikes an iceberg on its journey, sinking and becoming one of the world's greatest tragedies. And the similarities between Titan and Titanic don't just end with the name and the iceberg. The length of the Titan was 800 feet. The Titanic, 882 feet. The speed at which the Titan collided with the iceberg was 25 knots. The Titanic's was 22.5 knots. The Titan held 2,500 passengers. The Titanic held 2,200 passengers, although both had a capacity of 3,000. Both ships were British-owned. Both had a triple-screw propeller. Both ships were hit around midnight on their starboard bow, both sank in the North Atlantic, exactly 400 nautical miles from Newfoundland. Both had a severe lack of lifeboats, with Titan containing 24 and Titanic carrying just 20. And while there are some differences, they're kind of few and far between compared to the similarities. Uh, yeah, that was a lot. I thought I knew most of them, and that was way more than it's I way more. realized. Yeah. Yeah. Only 13 people survived the sinking of the Titan, while 705 survived the Titanic. And the Titan actually capsized before sinking, whereas the Titanic split into two pieces before plummeting into the sea. And also, fun little side fact, the Titan's hero, John, also kills a polar bear who lives on the iceberg that sank the luxury liner. Which, I mean, one, obviously, like, don't go killing polar bears, but for a fictional novel, that's kind of fucking metal. Like... Yeah, it's kind of badass. Um, yeah. Totally. And I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that no one on the Titanic even had the time to contemplate fucking killing a polar bear, even if they wanted to. <laughs> After the Titanic tragedy, P. 
people noticed the eerie similarities between Robertson's novel and the tragedy and started claiming that the author was a psychic because how the fuck could someone write a book so similar to a tragedy that hadn't even taken place yet? And there are 41.1 million square miles of the Atlantic Ocean available for shipwrecks to choose from. And there are plenty of reasons a ship could sink besides an iceberg. But Robertson himself was quick to shut down any rumors of clairvoyance and attributed the similarities to his extensive knowledge of shipbuilding and research of maritime trends. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, ocean liners were one of the most convenient and popular ways to travel, with companies like the White Star Line advertising their ships as floating first-class hotels, which promised speed and safety, as well as all of the luxuries of being on land. Robertson was the son of a ship captain and grew up as a cabin boy before becoming a first mate on a merchant ship. So he drew inspiration for Titan from the countless stories he heard of luxury liners, as well as his own personal knowledge of ships inner workings. And as for the fact that the Titan and the Titanic had the exact same route, Robertson explained that it was simply the fastest and most direct from England to New York. So it should serve as no surprise that the Titan and the Titanic both chose to use it. But speaking of the Titanic, let's talk about Violet Jessup. Violet was born in 1887 in Argentina to Irish immigrants. At a young age, she contracted tuberculosis and was expected only to survive a few months. However, she somehow recovered and went on to live a long and healthy life. After her father died, Violet's mother moved the family to England and began working as a stewardess on a ship. When she became ill, Violet, who was attending a convent school at the time, dropped out and decided to become a ship stewardess herself to support her family. Initially, though, Violet had a hard time finding a job because one, she was 21 years old, and two, apparently Violet was a fucking smoke show and employers feared her youth and good looks would, quote, cause problems, end quote, with crew and passengers. Damn! Girl! And here's the thing, they weren't exactly wrong because Violet did receive at least three proposals, including one from a wealthy first-class passenger over the course of her career, which work fucking get it, bitch. Yes. I wish that was my problem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so attractive. Men just keep proposing to me. I just can't work because I'm just going to distract men and they're just going to keep wanting to marry me and wife me up. My life is really hard, guys. But also, that's a you guys problem that has nothing to do with me. I can't control my genetics. Ten fucking thousand percent. Cool. Exactly. You're like, I can't control. I'm genetically gifted. Okay, thanks. Can you hire me, please? But here's the thing. Violet needs a fucking job. So to get employed, she decided to make herself look frumpy, rocking old clothes and no makeup. And granted, even with that, she's still getting fucking proposed to. Work. Work, bitch. I'm obsessed. I was going to (laughs) say... Unless you're like smearing like coal on your face or something. I don't really see how you're going to. I mean, yeah, it is like the early 1900s. But you put on the glasses and like frizzed her hair. Yeah. (laughs) It's a reverse. um, She's all that. Yes. I literally was just thinking that. Yeah. (laughs) Or the Princess Diaries, the reverse. Yes. After working as a stewardess with the Royal Mail Line for two years, in 1908, Violet was hired by the White Star Line. And in 1910, she began working aboard the RMS Olympic. The Olympic, a luxury ship, was the largest civilian liner of its time. But one year later, in the fall of 1911, the Olympic left its port in Southampton and collided with a British warship, the HMS Hawk, a ship designed to sink ships by ramming into them. Although 
which I didn't know that was a tactic. I didn't really know that was a thing either. Damn. There you go. Although both ships sustained considerable damage, there were no fatalities and the ship made it back to port without sinking and Violet disembarked without being harmed. Now, it would be reasonable for anyone who experienced the almost sinking of a ship to be turned off to transatlantic sea travel, but call Violet Jessup Miss Honeybadger because she don't give a shit. And just seven months later, Violet was back at work with the White Star Line and took a job aboard their most luxurious and unsinkable ship, the RMS Titanic. Violet boarded the doomed liner as a stewardess just four days before its infamous collision with the iceberg. In her memoirs, because, spoiler, she fucking survived the Titanic. Damn! Graw. You're not even ready. She mentions that she was ordered up on the deck to serve as an example of how to behave for the non-English speakers who couldn't understand the instructions being given to them, which, barf, how fucking gross is that? That is very gross. She wrote, quote, I was ordered up on deck. Calmly, passengers strolled about. I stood at the bulkhead with the other stewardesses, watching the women cling to their husbands before being put into the boats with their children. Sometime after, a ship's officer ordered us into the boat, lifeboat number 16, first to show some women it was safe, end quote. She watched as the lifeboats were loaded and made it onto one herself. In the lifeboat, Violet was handed a baby to care for. After spending one night in a lifeboat, she and her fellow survivors were rescued by the RMS Carpathia. There, the baby's mother apparently snatched the baby out of Violet's arms and ran off, which, like, rude. You know, a fucking thank you would be nice. Just saying. Right? I, like, just held your baby. All night. It's not my fucking baby. All night. Yeah. You're welcome. Hashtag not a mother, in case that wasn't fucking clear. Holy shit. But just fucking saying, like, thank you. Thank you for taking care of my baby. I feel like all the moms I know would thank somebody for holding their baby. You know, you would think so. Yeah. But also hashtag not a mother. And again, despite witnessing the tragedy of the Titanic and spending the night in a freezing lifeboat, Violet Jessup continued to serve as a stewardess during World War I. What? Dude, she doesn't give a fuck. This is like the most unfazed human being I've ever heard of in my fucking life. She's like... I'm hot. The universe is on my side. Like I survived a fucking the Titanic, which had how many casualties? Like and and the fucking other boat getting fucking hit by another boat. I at that point I might be like I'm good. Like it it's just gonna happen. Shit's gonna happen. You kind of playing the odds at that point, right? Yeah. During World War One, the White Star Line converted some of their ships into hospitals. One of these converted ships was the HMHS Britannic upon which Violet was serving as a stewardess for the British Red Cross. While the exact events of what happened on the morning of November 21st, 1916 remain a bit unclear, it is believed that either the Britannic had been torpedoed by a German U-boat or ran into a sea mine planted by German forces. Either way, the Britannic sustained an explosion which caused the vessel to sink into the Aegean Sea. The Britannic sank in 57 minutes, killing 30 people. But Violet made it onto one of the lifeboats. But as the ship sank, the propellers were still spinning and began sucking the lifeboats (gasps) under them. Oh, fuck. Girl. Violet, ever knowing what fucking time it was, jumped out of the lifeboat to safety, but received a traumatic head injury in the process. In her memoir, she wrote, quote, I leapt into the water 
but was sucked under the ship's keel, which struck my head. I escaped, but years later, when I went to my doctor because of a lot of headaches, he discovered I had once sustained a fracture of the skull, end quote. And was just living with it. It's fine. My head hurts sometimes. So just to recap, and for those who might have lost track, Violet Jessup survived one near sinking and two actual sinkings. And anyone would think it would be more than reasonable for her to hang up her hat and be like, you know, folks, this maritime life just like ain't for me. But no, she a honey badger. Violet don't give a shit. After a brief hiatus, Violet returned to work for the White Star Line in 1920 and later at the Red Star Line. The tenacity, I could not. No, no. During the rest of her seafaring career, Violet Jessup, or Miss Unsinkable, as she became known, sorry, Molly Brown, like this bitch is is the unsinkable Violet Jessup, completed two around-the-world cruises and was luckily able to avoid any further ship disasters. She retired at the age of 61, and in 1971, Violet Jessup died of congestive heart failure at the ripe old age of 84. Ah, good for you, girl. Girl. And that is the story of the crazy maritime coincidences of Richard Parker, the Titanic, and Violet Jessup. Those were very odd. Yeah. (sighs) Is it a coincidence? I I almost feel like, like, okay, like Violet Jessup, either she's like cursed or blessed. I don't know which one it is. But the other two, I always feel like a quantum leaping. Yeah. Of like them seeing like a, because it's so specific. I could see it's so specific. That is very odd. I don't know. Regardless, I loved all of these, all three stories. That was fascinating. Thank you. I've really tripped out. You really, you really uh, mind fucked me a little bit on that one. Yeah. Because I remember reading the, the Richard Parker story a few years ago and be like, what the fuck? Yeah, I had not heard that. Mm-hmm. That is wild. Yeah. So crazy. And like, that's a fairly common sounding name, but just, it, that was too, too specific. I've never met Richard Parker. Yeah, I feel like Parker's a common last name. Richard's a pretty common first name. Sure, lots of probability. I haven't personally met any Richard Parkers, but like, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they have to be. But everything else is very odd. Yeah. And then you have the Titan and the Titanic. Like, literally, it's everything. Everything is exactly the same. That one always gets me. Yeah. I mean, I'm constantly saying there's a glitch in the Matrix, Monique. So this does not surprise me. You know what? I think I think you're right. I think it's a glitch in the Matrix. Yep. This is where I will agree with the... We're living in, a, we're living in simulation? That we're, well, they were. I'm not. Um, it's stopping the simulation. <laughs> I was as soon as that, that was over. Now we're back to reality. As soon as 1984 hit, they're like, you know, let's let the kids run it themselves. See what happens. They're good. They're good. All right. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll accept it. Thank you so much for those stories. I feel so special. I'm glad that you went rogue this week. Yeah, sure thing. I, I, yeah, I just, there are just certain coincidences that are just really kind of too crazy to be coincidence. And I don't know how they're not coincidences. That is one that like really makes you think, mm-hmm. really makes you feel some type of way about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where even if you're the type to be like, no, a coincidence has happened. It's just a coincidence. Like, is it though? I don't know. They like, are weird. They're very weird. 
Because like, for instance, there was, I, I remember reading about how like there were two Dennis the Menaces cartoons that were created at the same time, one in England and one in the US. And it was basically the exact same plot. And it was a blonde kid who was a menace and like, her, like. Interesting. I. Yeah. I had to remember there being like two different drives, but I just assumed one was like the British version. Yeah. There was a British version and a. But they both independently came out at the same time. Yes. Yes. And they were both called Dennis and Menace. Very weird. I didn't know that aspect of it. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Monique. Yeah, girl, I don't know. You might be onto something here. I don't know. But I'm always very fascinated by things like this. So. Oh, I love this. I'm imparting that on you, you good people. I love this. Mm-hmm. You knew this was going to be right up my alley too. <laughs> girl, I got you. Psychic sisters. Always. Uh, love psychic sisters. I had a psychic sister moment with Johnny this week. It was very fun. Oh, he's trying He's trying to step in on my shit. I see. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't a full psychic sister moment because it was a thing I thought. And then I was like, I'm not going to say this. I'm going to dismiss it. And then he said the exact same thing. And I was like... And then you said it? I was like, you took that out of my brain. And now I'm so mad I didn't say it because we didn't get to have this beautiful psychic sister moment. Yeah. There's certain days that I feel like I'll just think of like someone and they'll just walk into the bar. And like, that was Thursday. It was like, like so many people I thought of just like walked in and that I hadn't seen in ages. That's your witchy powers though. I think so. Yeah. You have those more so than I do. (laughs) We're going to, we're going to figure out how to, how to grow these girl. Like one of my regulars who I absolutely adore has a band. Like it's kind of like always in flux because always someone's quitting or their like schedules are working or whatever. So he hasn't performed in a really long time. And he told me that he was going to perform this weekend, but I couldn't go because I was in Nashville. And then I told him, I was like, so, you know, I'm, I'm manifesting that the show gets moved so I can go to it. And then it did. So yeah, I got, <laughs> it got moved. <laughs> Obviously, Monique, you asked and you shall receive. I mean, that's just how it goes. Ask and you shall receive. Remind me never to piss you off. <laughs> I would never, you would never. And I would never. Okay. I adore you. Plus I, you only use your witchy powers for good. I know this about you. You're you're a good witch. That's right. I mean, would I love to be a bad witch? Absolutely. I would love to craft the fuck out of that shit. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) No, no, you're too, (laughs) no, you're too nice. If anyone's the bad witch, it's, you know, it's this bitch. (laughs) I love you. I love you. And I love that story again. Thank you so much for that. I got you. So now that we're out of the world of the weird. The weird. Although that was quite a brutal paranormal story this week. I'll give you that. Yeah. 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 I, I psyched you out with some cannibalism. You know, I'm always here for it, buddy. <laughs> Despite my reaction, I, I was into it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Girl, let's, let's take, a, take a ride in, in the true crime carnival. I don't know. I was trying to make that work. It didn't work. I'm sorry. I loved it. What do you mean? Let (laughs) let us take a ride in this true crime carnival. (laughs) Fucking done. So, you know, I love a fucking theme, Monique. So we have Valentine's Day coming up. So I did a Valentine's. I always forget. I always, you're so much better at knowing the dates, which is what I talked about this earlier about like being paranoid that I'm going to miss my mother's birthday. You're so much better at the dates than I am. Uh, you're giving me far too much credit. I'm really not. I actually 
realized so belatedly that I could do a Valentine's Day theme story. And I was kind of pissed at myself at like how late I realized I was like, oh, God damn it. (laughs) That was obviously the perfect jumping off point for this. But you did it. You got it. I got it. We're here. It's happening, girl. And there's something, there's something morbid in me that just like loves ruining a holiday based on love. (laughs) Corporate (laughs) holiday based on love. I fucking love you. (laughs) So sources, truecrimedaily.com, oxygen.com, and murderpedia.org. We're not going crazy this week. Dude, classics, simple, get them out of the way. Yep. Boom. By all accounts, Stacey and Richard Sheck were very much in love. But considering this was Stacy's fifth husband, Coño. it seems she was more in love with love itself. Mm-hmm. Stacy's cousin said that she'd eventually just get bored and move on to the next. But according to her, Richard was the best out of all of Stacy's husbands. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> she actually called them her stable of husbands, which like I wanted to keep in so badly because that cracked me up to no end. That's hilarious. I know. So I kept it anyway by just this little side, this little anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> Stacy had three sons from her previous marriages and was the breadwinner of the family, working as a head administrator for a large medical and surgical practice in DeKalb County, Georgia. Richard worked as a maintenance manager, but also took on primary duties raising the kids. And while they weren't biologically his, he had loved Stacy's three boys so much, he had formally adopted two of them. Oh. I believe the third was already like 18 or near 18 at that time, hence why he wasn't formally adopted. Right. Known for his fun-loving nature, one of Richard's nieces described him as the cool uncle. Mm. He was a hot air balloon enthusiast, oh. which... I feel doesn't actually sound that cool, but as someone who fucking loves hot air balloons, I actually think it's super cool. I mean, I found that out at Cocktail Magique. Yes, because There's, yes, glasses were <laughs> delivered to us from the ceiling yeah, in hot, hot air, air balloons. balloons. Yeah, it's guys go. Figure your fucking life out. Come to New York and go to the show. It's incredible. It's the third week in a row we're talking about it. I've never actually been in a hot air balloon. I just will like lose my mind if I see one in the wild. Yeah. When did you see it, though? Like, never. That's very special. It is very special. I saw it several times when I lived in Florida. I would just, like, look out the window in my car, and I was like, there's a fucking hot air balloon, like, just chilling over there. That was not a thing in Miami. (gasps) No, probably not. Mm -mm. No. That's why it feels so special. I feel like it's seeing, like, a shooting star. You see a hot air balloon in the wild. Yeah. He also loved riding motorcycles, which is admittedly way cooler than hot air balloons. I don't agree, but okay. I'm going hot air balloon. (gasps) I love you for saying that. Thank you. <laughs> it's true. It's like, I'll accept that. I don't think the, the general population would agree with you, but fuck them. I mean, that's why we're two of a kind. <gasps> we are. He was also the den leader of his adopted son's Boy Scout troop. For Valentine's Day 2010, the two planned to meet up and exchange cards and gifts in Belton Bridge Park in Lula, Georgia, a place they had discovered while motorcycling together. But... Just for the record, this is not a park like you would see in the city. This is a remote park in the middle of the woods. Uh, Okay, no. Yes. Mm -mm. It's very secluded. There are no paved roads and no streetlights. Nope. That's no for me, darling. That's a hard pass. Can we go to a restaurant? Yeah. I would like that. And everything I read made it seem like this was super romantic, which Mm -mm. genuinely baffled me. Like, (laughs) you're going to meet your spouse in the woods on Valentine's Day, like, just to exchange gifts? To me, that's a murder plot. Yes. 
by the way, this is North Georgia, which still gets like pretty fucking cold in the winter. Mm-hmm. So like when I checked today, it's 37 degrees there. Like, no, no. That's where we're going for Valentine's Day. Mm-mm. So they're meeting up in the cold, dark woods in the middle of nowhere, basically for their Valentine's Day date. I don't get it, but to each their own. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they were planning to relive their youth a bit by fooling around in the car like teenagers, I guess, is what was put forth. Mm-hmm. When Valentine's Day rolled around, Stacy went to work while Richard cooked dinner for her and her grandparents, who required round-the-clock medical attention. That evening, Stacy texted Richard and told him that the nurse who was coming to relieve her was running late, so he should just meet her at the park. Stacy arrived 30 minutes after Richard. His truck was running, the driver's door was open, and the headlights were on. It looked as though he had just pulled up and got out of his truck. But when Stacy found Richard, he was lying on the ground in a pool of blood. Oh my God. Stacy immediately called 911. Frantic and screaming for help, she told them her husband had been shot and that he was dead. Police rushed the scene. Hall County Sheriff's Lieutenant Dan Franklin, one of the first officers to respond, said from the get-go, something just didn't seem right. The shooting appeared to be too over the top to just be a random killing. Richard had been shot twice in the abdomen, once in the chest, and twice in the face. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, which Lieutenant Franklin rightfully described as, quote-unquote, overkill and particularly gruesome. Mm -hmm. They assumed robbery had been the motive, but when they searched his truck, there was $40 in cash visible in the center console, and his watch, wedding ring, and wallet were all untouched. His truck, which cost around $40,000, was also still there, which if it was a robbery, you'd assume they would have at least taken it. So the police immediately ruled that out as a motive. Mm -hmm. Detectives scoured the crime scene for evidence, but there wasn't much to go on. The only thing they had were the tire impressions on the dirt road. Police found three sets of tire tracks. There were the ones made by Richard's truck and the ones made by Stacy's Ford Explorer. But there was also a third set of impressions. And from what they could tell, whoever had made those tire tracks had arrived before Richard and left before Stacy arrived. Okay. Although the police believed the tire tracks had to be those of the killer, they knew matching them to a getaway car would be like finding a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. Before they left the scene, however, Stacy made a surprising admission. She told police that she had been having an affair for several years with a man named Juan Reyes and was, quote unquote, in deep with him. Mm. She then admitted that she had told Juan that she was meeting Richard there that night. When detectives asked her if she thought Juan was responsible, she said she didn't want to think that he was responsible, but she didn't know. Authorities now believe they were likely dealing with a crime of passion and that Stacy's jealous lover must have decided he wanted her husband out of the picture. Mm -hmm. With a suspect for the murder identified, police went to Juan Reyes's house to question him. They arrived around 4 a.m. and knocked on the door, but no one answered. They said they knocked for a while, even on the windows. When they still received no response, they eventually left, but were able to track Juan down at his workplace later that morning. The first thing they noticed was that he had changed his appearance. While he had previously been rocking a full beard, he had shaved it into a goatee, which only added to their suspicions. Also, like, no one willingly wants, like, if... If you're rocking a goatee and no one in your life loves you enough to tell you that that's not the look, I don't know what to tell you. Like, no one is going to be like, this is a great look for me. The goatee? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah. It definitely reads predator slash pedophile look to me. Sorry. Yeah. Tell my goatee wearing brethren. Sorry, guys. I feel like you can do the Van Dyke, which is like the 
like mustache. The, the handlebar, essentially. It's the mustache with a little bit of beard chin, but the straight goatee is Mm-mm. no. Mm-mm. Who's into that? I feel shaving, not just changing your appearance, but shaving your beard into a goatee just makes you look even more suspicious than if you just shaved the beard. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I agree for the record. I mean. So obviously they're suspicious. So they brought him to the station for questioning. Juan freely admitted to the affair with Stacy. He was divorced and had several children and told police that Stacy helped support him financially. Mm. He was living in one of Stacy's homes. She paid for his truck and cell phone and took him on romantic getaways. Oh my. Yeah. Stacy's a full on sugar mama. Shit. Oh. Girl. Girl. You don't even know. Girl. She also kept a separate apartment on the side where they would meet up for their little tryst during the affair. What is Stacy doing that she has this kind of cash girl? Right? Well, she does have a good job. I would hope so. <laughs> Fuck, this is expensive. Yes. And it's Georgia, so I feel like the cost of living is like fairly low. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That is true, yeah. But yeah, apparently she's fucking rolling in the dome. Mm. Stacy, I'll have an affair with you. Fuck. Save my shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, later when Monique regrets that statement, I'm, I'm going to laugh extra hard about this one. <laughs> oh, amazing. I mean, I'm, none of this is going to go well, obviously. No, no, definitely not. Stacy had even gone so far as to get Juan a job as a surgical assistant at the medical facility where she worked, despite the fact that he had absolutely no medical experience. Holy shit. And prior to this, was working as a security guard at a swanky hotel. Yeah, Sugar Mama is not fucking around on this one. Clearly. No. However, despite admitting to the affair, Juan firmly denied having anything to do with the murder. When police asked him where he'd been the previous night, he told them he'd been home all night with his family and that he hadn't heard the police knocking on the door. Detectives continued questioning him and eventually asked him to take a polygraph test. He agreed, although the results were inconclusive. I mean, which, whatever, like polygraphs are also bullshit. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything anyway. Yeah. Juan told police that despite his divorce and the affair, he had been trying to reconcile with his ex-wife and just saw Stacy as a means to an end. Yikes. Yikes. Happy to accept her help financially, but with no serious intentions for their relationship. Well, does Stacey know that? I don't think so, girl. Oh, no, I don't think so. Yikes. Fortunately for Juan, his ex-wife, who had moved back in in an attempt to rekindle their marriage, confirmed his alibi even after learning that he'd been unfaithful, which, mm. like, if you were going to fuck somebody over. I mean, yeah. That was, the, that was the time to do it right there. Yeah, totally. But good for her because I'm sure a lot of other women would not, or people would not have taken that, would have been like, oh, you know what? Actually, fuck him. Yeah. Let's see how this plays out. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. With his ex-wife backing up his alibi, the police dismissed him as a suspect. Unfortunately, now all the authorities had to go on were the tire tracks. They determined that the tire they were looking for was a Goodyear Integrity. But considering the fact that there are numerous cars using that brand and model of tire, they were facing quite a daunting task the proverbial needle in the haystack. Mm -hmm. With the type of tire being their only lead, the case appeared to have hit a dead end. Then Lieutenant Franklin got an unexpected call from a guy in the IT department at the DeKalb Medical Center where Stacy worked. 
Part of his job was to clear out junk email from employee accounts. But when he went through Stacy's computer to empty her spam folder, he noticed her inbox was completely empty for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and realized that Stacy had deleted all of the emails from those days. He thought that was very odd, considering the fact that her husband had been murdered that weekend. <laughs> right. Yeah. And felt that he should bring it to the authorities' attention. You probably are going to be not thinking about your email if your husband's been murdered. Yeah. I would imagine. Yes. <laughs> Hashtag not a wife. So I don't know. Although Stacy had deleted the emails, the man told police that he had backups of all of them and offered to send them over to investigators, to which they immediately agreed. Oh, shit. Yep. With this questionable behavior in mind, detectives proceeded to obtain a warrant for all of Stacy's emails. Mm. They searched through over 4,000 emails and found two that seemed suspicious. One was written a few weeks before the murder to her bank requesting to transfer $8,902 from a real estate account into the personal account of a lady named Lenitra Ross. The second was from the Friday before the murder and was another request to her bank, this time to transfer $1,100 also to Lenitra Ross. Hmm. Lenitra worked as a medical assistant at the same practice as Stacy and was also renting a house from her. Investigators immediately went to question Lenitra, who said that the money, which amounted to about $10,000, had been for repairs to the house, claiming they had had a main water valve leak that Stacy had paid to have fixed. As police began to wonder if they had hit another dead end, they got another unexpected tip, this time from Stacy's cousin, Connie Hearn. She told them to look into their grandparents' car, a Chevy Impala. The car had apparently been given to Stacy to sell, with the understanding that the money was to be used to help with her grandparents' medical expenses. But it appeared as though she never sold it. Connie said the Impala would go missing from Stacy's driveway for a few weeks, then suddenly pop back up. Stacy told Connie that she'd gotten 14000 out of it, but according to Connie, her grandparents never received the money. Even more suspicious, when investigators located the Impala, they found it parked at the house Lenitra was renting from Stacy. And... Can you guess what kind of tires it had? <gasps> yep, the same brand of Goodyear tires that made the tracks at the scene of the murder. But if my cousin Vinny has taught me anything, you can't assume that just because a car has the same tires, mm-hmm. it's the same car that made the tire tracks. That is true. Also, two episodes in a row, we mentioned my cousin Vinny. I mean, I would mention it every fucking episode if I could, Monique. I love that movie. Because it's fantastic. It's so good. You know, get the mud in the tires. Oh, it's so good. Fuck, so good. Yes! Oh. When they questioned Lenitra, she told them Stacy let her borrow the car on occasion. Now, they didn't mention why Lenitra wasn't assumed to be the driver. Maybe she had a solid alibi for that night. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. Okay. Regardless, police were determined to find the car's driver. On a hunch, Lieutenant Franklin requested a tower dump from a local cell phone tower to get information on all the calls that had happened in the area that night. Mm -hmm. So when you make a phone call, your number, the number you dialed, the date, the time, and the duration of the call are all captured at the tower. And all of that information is saved there. Mm -hmm. Now the tower closest to Belton Bridge Park serviced four major carriers and the tower dump they requested had thousands of pages of records. But Franklin was determined and had the brilliant idea to compare the numbers from the tower to the numbers in Stacy's contact list. Mm-hmm. About an hour into the search, 
Franklin found a number that was in Stacy's phone that had made a call near the tower that services Belton Bridge Park on the night of the murder at about 8.40 p.m., which was around the time Richard would have set out for the park. Right. The contact in Stacy's phone was named Reggie, and investigators were able to identify him as Reginald Coleman, also known as Mr. Results, a personal trainer who offered workouts at Stacy's office building. Monique's face, you guys, I wish you could see. I mean, <laughs> the audible eye roll is severe. What police found interesting was that the number that Reggie called belonged to none other than Lenitra Ross, mm-hmm. the same coworker who had received all that money from Stacy around the time of the murder. In addition to the first call to Lenitra at 840, there was also record of another call at 940. This discovery led investigators to suspect that Stacy had orchestrated a murder-for-hire plot to have her fifth husband, Richard Sheck, killed. They believed that the second call at 940 was to let Lenitra know that the job was done. After going through her text, they also realized that three minutes after the phone call Reggie made to Lenitra, Lenitra texted Stacy and said, quote, Forgot to tell you I'm coming in late tomorrow. By the way, happy Valentine's Day. End quote. And police believed that the happy Valentine's Day mm-hmm. was the signal from Lenitra to Stacy that Richard was dead and that she could go find him. Mm-hmm. But despite all of this, police knew they needed more evidence and specifically proof that money had exchanged hands for the hit on Richard. Right. So police began looking at the banking records of Stacy Sheck, Lenitra Ross, and Reginald Coleman and found transactions for thousands of dollars moving between their accounts. Now that police had the financial records, they were ready to start making arrests. Their biggest challenge, though, was synchronizing them so that they couldn't tip each other off. The operation was called Operation Tangled Web and took a lot of planning. Do you think that there's, like, that they collectively come up with the name or that there's, like, one person that that's their job? I always wonder, if it is, how do I get that job? I want that to be my job. 10,000%. Yes. I just want Operation Flog a Dolphin. Ah! Okay, you you get the job. Hi. <laughs> Amazing. That was great. <laughs> Flog a Dolphin. Yeah, that was that's great. <laughs> I I I can't even top that. I can't come up with anything close to that. So like No, I th- no, it's like it's like the SNL writers room. I think like I need a partner to like chain smoke and just like pound like black coffee like four in the morning to come up with ideas. You know what I mean? Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love this. I want this to be a job and I want to apply. Yeah. Police served seven search warrants in four different counties and three arrest warrants all in one day. Reggie was arrested first followed shortly after by Lenitra, who was apprehended at a traffic stop. With the two of them safely in custody and unable to tip off Stacy, police proceeded to the medical center where Stacy worked to place her under arrest. However, somebody in the office told Stacy the police were there and she fled, locking herself in a room that could only be accessed with a key card. But, I mean, what are you going to do? You're just trapped in a room in the hospital now. Yeah, I mean, you have to go to the bathroom, girl. You have to, you know. <laughs> so... Obviously, police eventually located her in the room she had barricaded herself, and realizing she had no way out, Stacy eventually surrendered. Mm-hmm. Finally, three months after the Valentine's Day murder of Richard Sheck, Lenitra, Reggie, and Stacy were in custody facing murder charges, and the police were finally able to question them about their involvement in the crime. 
Lenita Ross painted herself as just an innocent bystander, while Reggie just flat out denied that he was involved at all. Stacy, on the other hand, told police that one of her sons had said that Richard was molesting him. And as someone who had been molested as a child herself, she had decided to take care of the issue. She claimed she had had Richard killed to protect her children. For the record, before we get any further, Stacy's son admitted Richard never laid a finger on him, and there was absolutely no evidence that any sort of abuse had taken place. And in fact, Stacy continued to leave him alone with her children for months while, quote unquote, believing that he was molesting them. So go fuck yourself. No. Stacy said she confided in her friend at work, Lenitra Ross, about what her son had told her and said to her, quote, I didn't want the police. I didn't want a divorce. I just wanted him dead. End quote. According to Stacy, yeah. Yes. According to Stacy, after she confided in her, Lenitra told her she knew a guy for the job. Her sometime boyfriend and father of her child, Reggie, Mr. Results, Coltman. Lenitra allegedly told Stacy that this was how he supplemented his income by doing jobs. Stacy then told police that Lenitra arranged a meeting where the three of them cooked up a plan to murder her husband. When Stacy asked how much, Reggie told her $10,000, to which she readily agreed. And to sweeten the deal, Stacy agreed to give Reggie her grandparents and Paula and Lenitra the house she was renting. Stacy said a week later, all three of them went to scout out the crime scene at Belton Bridge Park. She said Reggie agreed it was the perfect place and claimed he said something along the lines of, I might have to use this place more often. Yikes. Which, yes. Also implying he's done this before? Yeah. Yes. According to Lenitra, yes, he did this before. And according to Stacy, he made it seem like he would be using that place afterwards. So Stacy wanted to set it up to make it look like a robbery and actually like got angry because Reggie had fucked it up. Because obviously he didn't fucking take anything, so it didn't look like a robbery. Right, but he's also like, if I take something, then it's going to be on me, and then I have like... (laughs) Then I have this shit on me that... That links me to the crime. Yeah. No, thank you. But that's not all Stacey says Reggie screwed up. Richard was shot three times in the chest and twice in the face. But Stacey said she asked him just to be shot once in the head, and she didn't want him to suffer. She wanted it to be quick and painless. So... To her, it was overkill. Despite the molestation allegation, Stacy apparently gave a different reason for the murder to Richard's sister, who visited her in jail. This time, Stacy said she'd had Richard killed because she was worried that if she divorced him, he might get custody of her sons because of the legal adoption. Oh, shit. Yes. The murder may have also been for financial reasons, although she did seem to have all these properties and didn't really seem to be struggling for money. Stacy had pending life insurance claims totaling $560,000, and one of the policies began February 1st of that year, so just two weeks before he was murdered. Girl, that is such sloppy shit. Mm -mm. I know, like, fuck, don't do that. Don't murder people first. Also, also, yeah, just one, first and foremost. But, like, if you're going to, don't take out an insurance policy on them that comes into effect like two weeks before you're going to murder him. Come on. You need to play the long game of like, I did this three years earlier. That, that does. Yeah. I was going to say that doesn't even be a trick for murders. I feel like you got to play the long game. You got to plan it very well. 
again, we're not trying to help anyone commit any crimes. <laughs> I'm just making an observation. In August 2012, Lenitris did trial, but was found guilty of malice murder for her involvement in arranging the murder of Richard Scheck. With so much evidence against them, both Stacy and Reggie pled guilty to the charges against them. In November 2012, Reginald Coleman, the accused hitman, pled guilty to malice murder, possession of a firearm during the commission of a crime, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and was sentenced to life without parole. Mm. In December, just one month later, Stacy took the stand and accepted total responsibility for her crimes. Oh, shit. This, I know. I was like, I don't approve but I do like a tip of my hat to this, at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She said, quote, I said, I'm going to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And that's what I did. And that's disgustingly awful, end quote. Which, yes, it was disgustingly awful. And you did not have that right. How dare you? One, correct. But I'm glad you have some self-awareness of the situation. See, okay, cynical me is saying bullshit. Like, is do they think that it's like, if she... That her lawyers were like, look, you are going to get the chair if you don't admit to this and you're found guilty. But if you do, you'll get like a lesser sentence. You'll get like life in prison. So like you should admit to it. Save your life. You know what? And show remorse. And you have to show remorse. Have to be remorseful. I mean, completely possible. I will say they play a little bit of the 911 call like in the there's like a video embedded in the article. Mm -hmm. Yep. It sounds real convincing. Like if I didn't know the end of the story, I a hundred percent would have believed that. Shit. So her acting skills were quite, quite good. I will say. Interesting. Okay. That, again, that's my personal opinion, mm -hmm. but she genuinely sounds distraught and like she's freaking the fuck out in the 911 call. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard some sketchy 911 calls where I'm like, mm -mm, nope. Suspicious. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Stacy pled guilty to murder malice with forethought and was also sentenced to life without parole. Afterwards, Stacy said through her attorney that she is relieved that justice has been done for Richard. Since her conviction, Stacy says she has found God and is now studying to become an ordained minister. Stacy Sheck, Reginald Coleman, and Lenitra Ross will all spend the rest of their lives behind bars for the murder of Richard Sheck. And that is your horrible Valentine's Day murder story. Happy Valentine's Day, guys. Yay. <laughs> People are still getting killed by their spouses on this day of love. I just... That's so much work to do. It's so much work. Ugh. Just, and then not just that, did she try to frame the guy that she was fucking because he wasn't that into her anymore? Right? Girl, what the fuck? Mm -mm. Not cute. Not cute. The odds that he had like that day decided to shave his beard and try like a new style out. I was like, that was weird. That was a weird coincidence. Coincidence. <laughs> Apparently that one was though, because I, they had no proof that he was involved in the crime in any way, shape or form. Right. Right. But yeah, fucked up. That one got me. That's so fucked. And it's just that thing of especially if it's under the guise of like, we're going to do like a really cute romantic thing. That just kills me even more. I know. <sighs> yes. Also the fact that the romantic thing was uh, in the cold, dark woods. I'm not. No. Again, huge red flag there. Yes. As soon as someone suggests that, I'd be like, 
no, I'm going to make a reservation at a restaurant in town. But okay, if you want to do that, that's good on you. Have fun. (sighs) God. I mean, you know, at least she admitted it, I guess. Yes. And they're all doing their time. It's like small consolations here. Yes. You know, the, the little wins, the little victories. Also, this is like, she admits it after she's like, oh, by the way, he's like a pedophile molesting my son. Yeah. But at least, you know, for the family, it's the consolation that they don't have to go through a whole trial where like, you know, like a Casey Anthony bullshit, crazy thing where she just made up all sorts of wild shit. Yes. And everyone has to go on the stand and shit. Yeah. 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 That was, (laughs) that was crazy. Not cheerful. No. It was like, no. No. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day, kids. Hey. Yep. (laughs) Me and my morbid sense of humor. Sorry. I mean... I love it. And I, again, always forget the holidays, like always do without fail every single time. That's right. Well, you, you have to like think, uh, you're always plan ahead. Yeah. Think a week in advance, which like, you're always just like thinking like, okay, it's the day I'm going to do this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that was a great story. Thank you so much for that. I hadn't heard of it. Yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's a weird one. I'm always fascinated by people who hire people to kill their spouses because that is such a level of trust in a stranger, basically, that I would never be able to have. I don't trust someone to give me like like a tattoo because I'm like, you're going to fuck it up and I have to deal with this forever. Same. I'm going to expect you to keep your mouth shut. Like, no. I mean, I, I don't know that I mentioned this. I started watching Your Honor when I was in New Orleans, I was like, I started watching it, meaning I was on the flight and it was on. I was like, let's check this shit out. I'm obsessed with Brian Cranston. Yes. And just the first episode and a half, not even the first episode and a half, because the first episode, they set up the whole premise, right? Cool. The second episode, which I've only seen half of, it is like a nonstop of just people shitting the bed and fucking the thing up. You'd be like, wow, everyone is so bad at this. They're so bad at it. Or just like, it's, uh, I just... Yeah, I'm with you. I couldn't trust anybody to do anything. Dude. Also, it kind of seemed like they were like keeping it together until they really like started getting like the phone records and shit. Like, like they went to Lenitra and were like, hey, what's all this money about? She was like, oh, house repairs. Like, don't worry about it. It's cool. I would have probably panicked immediately and been like, (laughs) they gave me the money for the hit. I don't don't know. I wasn't involved. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you everything. Yeah, no, I, no, I can't. And it's, it's that, that old saying that's like, you know, three can keep a secret if two of them are dead. I just, the more you bring into it, more people, it's like too many loose ends, man. Yep. Also just don't murder people. (laughs) Just don't murder people. One. Also the Mr. Results nickname. Way to fucking shit the bed, sir. Yes. I mean, technically he did do what he said he was going to do. And I'm, I, I know this is obviously a fitness based nickname, but also could be applicable to his hit career if he had one other than this outside of this incident. Well, I, I guess, I guess the thing is what kind of results are you getting? Yeah. Do you want a polished result or you just want a result? Are you just want it done? Do you want it half-assed? Because like, you know, you could go to a doctor who's like, I'll make your tits bigger. But then if they put like fucking like squeaky toys in there, beach balls or squeaky toys or something. Yes. Your tits are technically bigger, but that's not what you wanted. Yes. Is it? No, it's not a good result. No, it is not. No. I was like, unless there's maybe like little rubber duckies in there or something. I don't know. (laughs) 
that analogy went off the rails. I'm sorry. And I apologize. <laughs> I love it. I love when we go off the rails. It's my favorite. <laughs> I love you so much. Uh, thank you so much for that story. Of course. Thank you for your stories. The trifecta of stories this week. Yeah, girl. I'm getting spoiled. Stop it. <laughs> it will not. And thank you guys so much for listening. This is another fucking horror podcast. I'm Monique Sanchez. And I'm Amy Traden. You can find me on the gram at pinupgirlmo. You can find me at lobotomy and that's lobot period Amy. If you don't follow the show on the gram, you should because we'll be putting pictures of these assholes all up on there. It's another fucking horror podcast. Every sixth episode, which we have one coming up, we do a true listener tales episode where we read your crazy personal stories. So if you have one or you just want to say hi, email us at another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking guys. We're so obsessed with you. Happy Valentine's day. Happy Valentine's day. Don't get murdered or murdered anyone. Yeah. Don't go to a romantic rendezvous in the woods. Always never do that on Valentine's day or any other day, but always remember to keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.